are listening to a Dulahan Productions podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Born on February 29, 1960, was a Satanist that would become one of the most famous serial killers the world has ever seen. His brutal way that he would kill and torture his victims has been highly publicized since his crimes began. His name is Richard Ramirez, but we know him today as the Night Stalker. Today, we will be looking at his life and murders that made him infamous. This is Serial Time, a serial killer podcast. I am your host, Hunter Strickland, and join with me as always is my co-host, Jason Sparks. Jason, how you doing? Man, I'm doing great, and uh, I'm really excited that we're at the uh, season one finale. Season one finale, we got a big one right here. And just, I'm glad you're with me to tackle this one, because this is a huge one, because, I mean, this guy we're talking about is, like I said in the intro, one of the most famous serial killers, or uh, really infamous serial killers in the world, just for his brutality, and obviously Satanism is what highlights him more probably than anything else. Just want to get your early thoughts about it. Yeah, like you said, he's his notoriety really carries him forward. And even people who really don't know that much about serial killers more than likely know names such as John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy, as well as Richard Ramirez. Yeah, and I just wanted to bring up just kind of like a plug for our other podcast, uh, Alcoholic Anomalies. We actually made a few, uh, like a little mention of him on this season one finale of that show, didn't we? We absolutely did. Yeah, yeah. he, uh, as we'll further touch on um, in your notes, that Richard Ramirez had a praying ground at the Cecil Hotel, which is what we discussed in the season one finale of AA. Yeah, I remember I was just a special guest on that. That's why I wanted to highlight that too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'll go ahead and get started. I'll start with talking about where he was born. He was born in El Paso, Texas to Julian and Mercedes Ramirez, and he was the youngest of five children. His family would call him Richie. It is claimed that his father was very abusive to him and his family, as he was known to be a heavy drinker, and that led to him having fits of rage, which he would take out on the family. uh, Richard would claim later that in his life that his father used to beat him so badly that he sustained multiple head injuries from the abuse, with one instance leading to him having epilepsy throughout his life. So, Jason, I'll go ahead and even stop right there. You can already see this is very traumatic time like not just right already at the start his childhood dealing with an abusive father and obviously it led to him having the seizures now that would affect him for the rest of his life yeah you you hate to see it and more than likely I'll, i'll go ahead and take this take more than likely that changed him for the worst and is the result of his father's actions uh continue on to have negative consequences onto the people and families that he went on to affect. I would have to agree with that too. And you got to imagine it would really affect a young boy's life knowing that his father would treat him this way too, because that's the man he's supposed to look at to be his protector. And instead he's his abuser. And that's just got to be a horrible thing to deal with. Yeah. And absolutely just horrifying experience and Really, I have to imagine, you know, it didn't just be perpetrated upon him, but also his siblings and then more than likely also his mother. And so from his father figure, he's not learning, you know, what true love is, how to act as a man, nor how a man should act towards a woman. Yeah, it just seems like a recipe for disaster for him, which is unfortunate. And Due to the violent nature that he had at his home, Richard would find solace in his older cousin, Miguel, who was a decorated green uh, barrette that fought in the Vietnam War. However, this proved to not be a very good influence on young Richard, as Miguel would boast to him about all the atrocities he committed during his time in service. Kind of like a highlight, what we talked about with our most previous episode, Arthur Shawcross, as Miguel would tell his young cousin how he would rape, murder, dismember, and decapitate several women, and he even provided photo evidence to Richard. So, Jason, what do you think about that? 
Yeah, so like you said, he's finding solace in his cousin. He's more than likely looking up to him as, as his role model. And what do you want to do to be a role model? You're going to basically mirror their behavior. And so if these actions that he's claiming or potentially did do, he himself is going to say, I need to do these things as well to be like my role model. And you just got to know too, just showing him these pictures at early age like you said it's just going to have make him develop a degrading image of women too think of that this is okay that this is acceptable when obviously this is not how you should do it and it's amazing that miguel didn't get charged with any war crimes that this was found out especially since he made it seem like there was many people he did this to it's just kind of baffling yeah it's already not not a good sign for richard uh, and like you said He's, he's learning from a young age what is okay, even though it's far from it. it yeah, yeah, and it just gets worse from here because probably what could you, one would say probably more traumatic just because this actually happened in front of Richard's face because on May 4th, 1973, when Ramirez was 13 years old, Miguel would fatally shoot his wife, Jesse, in the head with his handgun while Richard was in the room and watched the whole thing unfold. So what, that's got to be a traumatic event for him to see, but turns out it wasn't very traumatic as this would spark something in Richard by seeing this event. So Jason, what do you think about that? So to kind of change up my catchphrase, instead of saying what, I'm going to say, whoa, yes. Yeah. Jesus killed yeah. his wife with a handgun in front of his 13 year old cousin. I mean, how mentally deranged is Miguel, his cousin, to have committed that act? I that beats me because what the what happened was he actually pled guilty to or found guilty or not guilty by reason of insanity, and it was attributed to the PTSD he suffered from Vietnam. So that's what they're attributing to, but still, that is very extreme, though. That is, and from all accounts, from what I've seen, like, on TV, from documentaries that talked about Richard Ramirez, seems like all it was is they were in an argument, and he just pulled out a handgun and shot her. True. Uh, yeah, it's that's some pretty heavy stuff, especially for a 13-year-old to see. Absolutely, and, you know... Uh, my heart goes out to, to all veterans who are, are suffering with PTSD, but, but please, you know, find solace in, in, in psychotherapy uh, because that is such an extreme to, to take it that far. And like you said, from the account, it was over something very minor, very petty mm -hmm. to have done that. And not only did he shatter his own life, but he's also, you know, shattered richard's life even further than it already was exactly is his mind now is completely thrown through a loop now if it hasn't already been but even more so now that he just witnessed a murder in front of him and especially since now miguel who is his biggest influence and his biggest solace in this time of not having to deal with his father he gets sent to the texas state mental hospital for several years for this crime it was after this event that Richard became withdrawn from his family because he no longer had that outlet for him to get away from all the abuse he was facing at home. And because of this, he would move in with his older sister, Ruth, and her boyfriend, Roberto. Now, Roberto was known to be a bit of a peeping Tom, and he would take Richard with him along on his many escapades to go take on take on his uh, nocturnal adventures, if you know what I mean, Jason. Mm -hmm. so what, what do you think that means? Oh, I mean, it, it, like I said, he's a peeping Tom. He's, yeah. he's definitely kind of bleeding into some stalkerish uh, tendencies <laughs> and, and seeing things that, that women feel protected doing within the confines of their own home. Mm -hmm. And more than likely, I, I don't know for certain, but more than likely, I would have to say that not all these women are above the age of 18. And again, Richard has had such bad role models. And, and I was about to say father, that too. Yeah. <laughs> second is cousin. And now his essentially brother-in-law, however you want to kind of look at that, is, is teaching him that this is okay. And also teaching him that it's okay to be unfaithful to women. 
to go and do these acts, along with how horrendous the act is already. And I don't want you to think I was putting you on the bus. The only reason why I said that was exactly what you said. It just shows you he it goes from one bad role model to the other, and it just shows that he was honestly what's about to happen. It just seems like he had no chance because he had nobody that can steer him in the right direction. All he had were these uh, men who showed him the absolute wrong way to go about life, and it just shows how unfortunate this turned out. Granted, does not excuse what he would do later on, but I just wanted to get your thoughts about that. And I agree 100%. Richard never stood a chance to be an upstanding citizen just because of, like you said, all the the negative role models he's had in his life. Yeah, it's, it's quite unfortunate because the two of them would go on to do this for a few years together. And then in 1977, when Miguel was released from the mental hospital, he would also go on these nightly exploits with them as well. But I just want to highlight Miguel was only in that mental hospital for actually four years. That's not a very long time considering what he did. Yeah, it's not long at all. And that's just probably further submitting for Richard that if I were to do the same thing, that I'm not going to be locked away forever, that that crime's not that bad in his mind, mm -hmm. um, which might be another a, a further justification for his future uh, crimes. And he probably also thought, too, that, oh, all I got to do is plead not guilty by insanity, and all I got to do is go to a mental hospital instead of go to prison. That probably also planted a seed in his mind as well. Yeah, four years to then go on and, and continuing doing what he is fantasizing about doing, you know, is, is nothing in the grand scheme of things in his mind. Oh, no doubt. And... This cousin and uh, his sister's boyfriend would also prove to be even worse influence on him as they introduced him to various different drugs such as LSD and mar marijuana, as well as getting him involved into alcoholism pretty heavily as he would drink very heavily. It is also believed that around this time that Richard would begin to develop his fascination with the occult and Satanism, something that would define and make him infamous during his murder spree in subsequent years. Richard would also drop out of high school in the ninth grade, committing several crimes during this stage of his life, revolving mostly around drug possessions and theft. Richard would not stay in Texas forever, though, as in 1982, at the age of 22, he decided to pack up his bags and head west to the state of California. So, Jason, now that we hit this pivotal point in Richard's life, what do you think so far? Yeah, kind of like we've already touched on, Richard never really stood a chance, and He's already showing the impact these individuals have had on his life by dropping out of school, by taking these hardcore drugs, developing into alcoholism, and also divulging into crime at such a young age, too, with the theft and, and so forth and so on. Um, but it's really interesting that the belief that he found interest in the occult at such a young age really makes me think that he really is already subscribing to the the terrible things that go on within the occult and believes that that's potentially a way out and that maybe moving to california will get him more into that type of setting because of the the notoriety that some individuals have during this time frame being in california Maybe he hopes to kind of ride on their coattails a little bit and maybe eventually make his own name for himself. That's a good point, too. And honestly, I don't know much about the occult. It's what really just fascinated me is why someone would get into it, just because what is associated with it is never usually anything good. It just always fascinates me as to why they do it. Mm -hmm. But in his case, too, you're right. For him being so young and already getting on board with it is very fascinating just shows that him constantly being thrown into these situations where he is not surrounded by people with good influences just shows that he's been taken down these horrible paths and now it's just led to this moment and what also fascinates me especially about his case is how he uses it now for his future victims and how now he's going to this new state and he's going to prey upon it's mostly two cities and prey on those citizens there 
and completely terrify everybody there and just shows how just and people if someone had been in his life not saying that it would have completely stirred him in the right direction but maybe it at least curbed it a little bit mm-hmm. if someone would just came into his life and showed him the right way what could have happened it's just at this point before we get into everything it just seems like it's just one of the most unfortunate circumstances anybody can be put in because like we said earlier it's just one after another someone just come in his life and show him the absolute wrong way and it's just going to shows as it, it's going to show here just completely screw up his life and i agree it, it's curious too i wonder if he has developed any mental illnesses at this time mainly due to the beatings that he did get besides from him developing uh epileptic seizures but also on top of that how the lsd may have furthered these conditions and also i'm curious if his interest in the occult may have came from the lsd too because of course i've never done it you've never done it hunter and really i don't know very many people if any who have done it um but the the thing you always hear is that you see stuff um Mm -hmm. And I've even heard of people having bad trips and they believe that they see demons. And I wonder if maybe that's what has happened to Richard in one of these occasions. And as a result, he, instead of being frightened and scared of it, he's deeply fascinated in it. That is a very good theory. And that would actually make a lot of sense. Cause like you said, never done any of those drugs, never done drugs period. And that would make a lot of sense because I, I have heard people make having bad trips. I've never heard the demons part, but now you say that, that makes a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And him being probably opposite of what most people do, completely fascinated by it, that's probably what did drive him into it. Just a theory, obviously. We don't truly know, but that makes a whole lot of sense. And your guess is probably good as anybody's, honestly, because no one, it never truly showed in my research why he delved into it, just said that he did. Right. It would be after his move to California that Richard would also discover a new addiction for himself, which was, Jason, before I actually reveal the answer, what is something that was very big in the 80s? Oh. Um, it was a like outbreak that really threw America crack, through a loop. The crack epidemic? Yep, that one. That's what Richard got himself involved into as well, as he became highly addicted to cocaine. And it was also through this uh, addiction that would drive him to commit m- multiple burglaries as he tried to feel this desire for him to uh, essentially fulfill his high. And that's what he got into. Because I don't know if you ever read, read Jason, how bad it got during this time frame with crack cocaine. Yeah, it was uh, it was not pleasant, um, to say the very least. Uh, and was definitely an epidemic that took, you know, the U.S. by storm in the 80s, and people would literally do just about anything to either get the drug itself or get money to purchase the drug, and it really, you know, made people have a, a heightened sense of awareness, or at least they should have during that time. It, it was pretty bad, too, as, as we, we see here, Richard was a part of that, and it really really affected his life probably more than anything else in terms of the substances he took at this time because he was a i guess considered a petty theft back in texas but now he was going to get into some pretty high skill crime even leading him to what we will be what he will be famous for later on down the line however during this time though he never settled down in one place during his stay in california as he would frequently move around in the los angeles and san francisco area it would be two years after his move to the golden state that ramirez would begin his killing rampage that rocked the state and the nation as a whole his first believed victim though wasn't linked to him till 2009 but we'll go through this chronologically was a nine-year-old chinese american girl named me Leong. In, her, in his apartment building in San Francisco on April 10th, 1984. Jason, I know we talked about this many times. Just something about it. Murder, rape, no matter who it is, horrible. But when it's a child, it takes it to a whole new level. Yeah, it's horrifying to, to hear about and to, to say the very least. But I just want to kind of put that in perspective. 
Richard is somewhere between 23 and 24 years old when he killed a nine-year-old girl. Yeah, he's 24, yes. Mm -hmm. That is, oh man, it, I feel like that really just kind of talks about the, the pure insanity he's already divulged into at such a young age. Because typically, a lot evolves into making a serial killer. Uh, but so much has happened so quickly within Richard's life that it's escalated him to that point where even in his early 20s, he's already to this point. It, yeah, it just shows where his psyche at. Because I'll even tell you what happened was he lured the girl into the basement of the building where he beat raped and strangled the poor girl before stabbing her to death with his switchblade he then hung her from a pipe by her blouse too oh my so, god now i just want to get your thoughts on that just shows the brutality he's already demonstrating like you said he's 24 he's not old at all he's still a young person and he's already just uh, showing how brutal he can be especially to a nine-year-old girl yeah he's, he's showing just pure blood uh, brutality and then just a, a total lack of remorse and empathy for life that he would go to such extremes and then even after the fact of the horrific things that he's done he hangs her up by her blouse in essence i don't know if it if it's like a trophy on the wall for him or if it's just something he can bask in the glory of what he has just committed i i don't know how deranged he is at this point but good night uh, if i had to give you a guess honestly i'd say the latter just because usually when you do something like that you're trying to show off like what you've done that's maybe what he's trying to do he's showing off what he's done to himself and basking in just i guess let soak in for lack of a better term it's just horrific that he could do that to anybody much less a child uh, yeah, I agree tenfold. Jesus age. Yeah. Well, his next victim was a 79-year-old woman named Jeannie Vincal. This occurred on June 28th of that year. She was found in her apartment in Los Angeles, stabbed multiple times in the head, neck, and chest, with a throat slash so deep that it nearly decapitated him. And I just want to point out, too, it just shows that he's angry if he can slash someone's throat that deep they almost decapitate someone because that is not a simple process at all as it's kind of just grotesque just talking about but it's not a simple process at all and it takes time and it just shows one how methodical he is and also probably how angry he is too yeah he's falling into that much of a rage that his adrenaline is just guiding him and he's using that blade with so much hatred and anger that he's putting everything he has into it and i just want to clarify you said it was a 27 year old girl no no no, no 79 79 year old no, it, it, it occurred on june 28th yeah oh my god so yeah he he essentially does not care who it is as long as in my mind this is richard getting his fix uh not only from the drug abuse but also from his bloodlust Oh, yeah, it's got to be. This is probably all this pent-up anger from years of suffering at the hands of his father and just all everything just probably coming out of him and he's taking on these people. And just interesting note, too, uh, the way he was able to access the apartment was by removing the mesh screen over an open window, leaving fingerprints behind, but unfortunately they weren't able to trace it to him at the time. But this would establish a pattern for the Night Stalker that he would use for almost every murder or atrocious crime he committed by breaking in, committing heinous crimes, and taking valuables to keep up with his drug habit. So we can already see there, he's starting to establish, this is his first time he starts to establish his pattern that most people remember him by. Mm -hmm. so, he would take a about a nine-month hiatus from killing again, but what is to come is about five months of pure carnage that he left behind. As on March 17th, 1985, 22-year-old Maria Hernandez had just arrived home when Richard pulled up to her, shot her with a 22 in the face. Miraculously, she survived the instance as the bullet ricocheted off her keys after she put her hands up to defend herself, as this proved this have saved her life. 
but being pretty clever on and on her feet, she played dead, hoping that Richard would not recognize that she was actually still alive. However, her roommate, Dale Okazaki, was not so lucky as she ducked behind the kitchen counter when she saw him enter the house. She peeked up from behind the counter, and when she did, Richard saw her and shot her in the forehead, killing her instantly. So, Jason, like you said, he doesn't really care who it is, age-wise, uh, whatever it is. He doesn't care who they are. He's just going after anybody he can and just trying to steal money just so he can keep up with this drug habit. Yeah, he's... Oh, man, he's just going at it, just again going back into that blind rage and just pure bloodlust and i'm, I'm kind of curious so i feel that most people probably would know that you know if you want to kill somebody quickly and, and and as messed up as this is it, with a firearm you would shoot them in the head you know mm-hmm. everybody's seen zombie movies or, or video games what, what have you yeah. um but i kind of wonder if him doing so is by in part of something he had been told by Miguel, his cousin of the fact of, if you want to do it clean and easy in essence, as, as horrible as that is to say, uh, you shoot them in the head. And also it, it kind of makes me think that Richard has practice with a firearm to pull off these shots. Um, to to run up in a, on a woman essentially in her front yard, I have to imagine, shoot her in the in the in the head, which luckily, like I said, was able to reflect the bullet with a key since it was such a small caliber. Mm-hmm. But then to go into the house in more tight corridors and still be able to pull off that same shot, um, yeah, it, it like I said, I, I say all that to say it, it definitely seems like he has practice with a firearm. And Miguel could have taught him too growing up because mm-hmm. he was a Green Beret. He obviously had that training. He could have passed it on to his cousin. That could have been where he learned it from. That would actually make a lot of sense. Either way, this would also I'll go ahead and throw this out there. This would prove to be the only time though he actually used a gun as everything else. It seemed he did not use that. I may have missed one or two of them where he did that, but most of the time he actually did not use a gun. He did not use a gun very often, I should say. Yeah, it definitely seems like this was more of a a cash grab for for Richard Ramirez versus him completely divulging into his bloodlust, but still just shows a total lack of empathy. I'm a, I'm a coming to to your house, to your sanctuary. I'm going to kill you because I see that you're in my way, and then I'm going to take your precious belongings and sell them so I can get my uh, crack cocaine. Exactly. Well. His night didn't end with those two as on the same night, he would shot, shoot and kill 30-year-old Veronica Yu and Monterey Park before fleeing the scene. These murders and attempted murder would cause widespread media coverage as, I mean, you can imagine, Jason. You got one guy doing a home invasion, tries to shoot one girl, goes in the house, shoots another girl and kills her, runs away, kills another woman, just flees in the night, and no one has any idea who he is or what happened. Yeah, I mean, you you obviously have a psychopath on your hand, and you need to to put that person behind bars as soon as possible, or you fear he's going to continue to commit these heinous acts. Well, Jason, you would have a good point, as 10 days later, on March 27th, Richard would break into the home of Vincent and Maxine Cesara, where he would shoot and kill Vincent before turning his attention to Maxine. As this is a pattern he would establish in the future as he would kill the husband first and then turn his attention to the wife. He bound her and beat her to know where valuables were. While he searched for anything worth taking, Maxine did manage to escape her bondage and find a shotgun. However, it was unloaded. Furious at this, Richard shot her before finding a knife and mutilate her body as well as gouge out her eyes to which he kept in a jewelry box he stole as souvenirs. The couple were discovered by their son either that night or early the next morning. So, this guy's pretty brutal. What do you think? Holy shit, dude. He not only oh. gouged her eyes out and kept them. And the only reason why they know that is because after he got arrested, they found it. Oh, my God. I mm-hmm. mean, 
as we've already touched on, how deranged and how just a, a pure bloodlust he has. And I mean, I just cannot fathom how horrifying it would be for their son to to come home or to go visit his parents. I'm not sure how old he was. I think he was kind of young. I think he was still like he was pretty young. Oh man, to to walk into your your parents' bedroom or what have you and and see both your parents dead, but not only dead, but your mom is completely mutilated to where you probably can't even recognize that's her body anymore. And oh man, I just I I hate the fact that she was able to get away. She found a potential weapon to defend herself with just for it to be unloaded. And therefore she gets such horrendous treatment for it. Oh man. You, you just, this is one of those instances you really wished that shotgun was loaded and the, the nightmare that is Richard Ramirez would have ended right then, then and there. Oh, hundred percent. And also I want to retract my statement because it does prove that he did use a gun on multiple occasions because he just used it on them. So I would like to retract that. But yeah, you're right. That is a horrible thing because if it was loaded, she could have ended his life and then we wouldn't be talking about him probably after this. But the fact that it was unloaded is just horrifying. And then what he did to her as retaliation is just, I just can't. It was even hard for me to get through that. That was horrifying just to think about. Yeah, and if if his string of... of crimes and and his psychopathic rage continues on i i have to imagine that that's that may not be the worst of it no no not a chance he would leave behind though some footprints from an avia sneakers he wore as well as bullets that he had used from the gun he used on to kill vincent and this would be very critical as police would match them with the previous murders realizing that they had a serial killer at large Mm -hmm. richard would go on to break into homes of various different families doing the same thing as he did to this uh zazara's house randomly killing and sparing his victims while also making them swear to satan he attacked in both los angeles as well as san francisco and i'll just i'll stop right there jason too what do you make of that sentence where it said he made him swear to Satan? Yeah, it's kind of shows how far he's kind of divulged into the occult and how deranged he's becoming in his own worship to Satan. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of wonder, too, if he feels like he's doing Satan's work and by making them devote themselves to Satan before he kills them in his own mind, damning them to hell, you know, to, to feed Satan's appetite or, or something heroic that he thinks he's doing for the occult, even though it's just pure blooded insanity. Yeah. It's, it doesn't raise questions too. I just wanted to highlight too, that uh, obviously we weren't going to cover every single one of his killings because we'd be here for two hours probably. But mm-hmm. if from doing my research, cause I looked at all of them, the randomness that he has in either killing people or sparing them is pretty not interesting, but weird to look at because I think the reason why he does that is just to show his complete control over people and that he has, he is their person that he's going to determine if they're going to live or die and that maybe he gets off on that. I don't know. I just wanted to see what you thought about that. Yeah. Maybe he thinks that, he is their judge, jury, and executioner, and it's it's up to him if if they get to live. Uh, if he can potentially be their savior or or what have you. Again, just divulging into this misguided heroism that he has for the occult. But it, it's kind of curious that he believes that, in essence, that he's gonna continue to get away with this. That. It's okay for people to to see his face. It's okay for him to leave shell casings at the scene of the crime and, and even fingerprints, obviously not even wearing gloves, you know, and, and just continue on doing what he's doing with essentially a, out of care in the world. And it seems like he's kind of reckless too, that, or maybe not reckless, but careless. Like he doesn't care that if he gets caught or not, he's just going to keep on doing what he's doing to make sure he can feel his drug appetite. Because I didn't mention, uh, like I mentioned earlier, with this sneaker uh, print that he left behind, it, it seemed like through the research that he'd done this multiple times, and that's how they were able to connect that this is the same guy. 
it just shows too that he doesn't really care. He's just trying to get a job done, get the money so he can buy some cocaine essentially is what I see. Yeah. He's just going about it. You know, like you said, not a care in the world. And ah, this is, he definitely seems unorganized mm-hmm. to this extent just because of how he's been kind of changing it up. Um, the, the nine-year-old girl definitely seemed like it was pure bloodlust and also mm-hmm. sexual desire uh, due to the rape. Mm-hmm. And the 79-year-old, you know, just seemed to be pure blood bloodlust. And now it seems like, and also greed. Mm-hmm. And now these further instances feel to just be greed. And also, yeah. again, it, going back to that misguided heroism. Exactly. And it, it also probably is sexual gratification too, like you said, because... A lot of his victims, like I said, we just didn't go into all of them. He did rape a lot of them, too. So mm-hmm. that was a probably a big portion of what you're talking about, too. Because, like we mentioned, he is completely messed up from all the influences in his life. He probably thinks that he can do this if he wants to. It's He's just so messed up, honestly. Yeah, and like we talked about earlier, he probably thinks that if he does get caught, he'll just spend four nice years in a mental institution and then get right back to it exactly and that's it's pretty crazy that if he does think that way so but mm-hmm. who knows it probably is what he's thinking and uh all of his crimes though did cause a major panic as you could expect within the public as no one knew if the night stalker was going to strike them as well with actual reports that a lot of people started purchasing handguns even attack dogs to hopefully ward off a potential invasion from him and like we mentioned earlier it just made it even scarier for most people as his victims were random. He didn't have a specific type like we talked about with most serial killers. It didn't matter. Anybody could be his victim. And that's just got to be a scary aspect for anybody to deal with. Oh, absolutely. I, I cannot imagine the terror that has filled L.A. and San Francisco at this time. And uh, 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 not not trying to bleed into anybody's beliefs on firearms, but good for these individuals who have purchased firearms and have purchased attack dogs for their own one peace of mind and also for the safety of not only them, but their families. Exactly. I mean, like you said, you can have your opinion on firearms, but at least these people are taking their, uh, taking action in their own hands and preventing anything like this happening to them. I, you got to at least commend that a little bit. Absolutely. Well, his last known victim, Enos uh, Eckerson occurred on August 24th, 1985, as she watched the night stalker shoot her fiance three times in the head before turning his attentions to her. He proceeded to beat her and bound her while ransacking the house, even telling her that he was the night stalker and having her swear her love for Satan. Once he took what he could find, he dragged Erickson to another room where he raped her and demanded for more money before making her swear again to saying that there was no more. She managed to free herself from the bonds after he left, even helping her fiancé, who miraculously survived the attack, with surgeons being able to remove two bullets from his head. First of all, that's amazing that he survived that. Because I can imagine he got shot close range, especially three times ahead. That's a miracle right there. Yeah, holy crap. Three times, and more than likely you've, you've stated that it's a twenty-two caliber. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, uh, I don't know about in this instance, but for the most part, twenty-two caliber shells uh, are very small. Very, very small, but typically they're intended to go into a surface and then expand to almost quarter shape. Mm-hmm. And so, and also, as as grotesque as this is, typically a twenty-two by its velocity will go through the front of the the skull. And then we'll not exit the back, but we'll actually ricochet and continue back into the brain. So the fact that he survived three of these shots to the head and was still able to live from that. I mean, someone was looking out for that guy. Oh, 100% too. And what I just want, I will dive back in just like about Richard though. It kind of shows right here. You could tell me what you think too. It shows that he's getting cocky. Because he flat out tells her that he's the Night Stalker. And he probably thinks at this point that he's not going to get caught. Because he knows everybody's looking out for him. But no one knows where he's going to strike next. And I just didn't know what you thought about that. Yeah, he's cocky. He's arrogant. He's really proud of himself for the the name that is now attributed to him. And like you said, he 
it, full-blown narcissist, but also has no fear of getting caught. He just, I don't know if it's the fact of he thinks that Satan's watching out for him, that Satan will protect him, or, or what. But yeah, he has full indignation in himself that he is going to continue to get away with this. Exactly. Well, that cockiness would prove to be his downfall as sparing Eric's life would be his big mistake as she was able to give a detailed description of her attacker to investigators. It was also on that same night that earlier he was about to attack another house in Mission Viejo. For some reason, he left the place and went to Erickson's house, but he did leave behind a footprint that that police were able to use. Uh, Richard also stolen a vehicle that night uh, to get around and what was also it was also found abandoned and police were able to obtain a single fingerprint, even though he had wiped the place down. They took this and were able to identify their perpetrator. Police found that he was a 28 or 25 year old man from Texas who was a drifter with a long rap sheet. They also released his mugshot from arrest that occurred in 1984 to the press to get it out to the public on August 29th, 1985. So it seems like, Jason, that everybody knows now it can put a face to it. Now they just got to find him. Yeah, it seems like all this horrendous activity that he's been doing is, is finally catching up to him. And you'd hope that this would kind of be the, the final chapter you would hope so too and it does seem like it will be as we'll get into because the next day which was august 30th he would take a bus to tucson arizona because one of his brothers was living there and he wanted to see him however he had no idea he was now the biggest story in all california and most of the country whenever he failed to see his brother due to him not being home he returned to los angeles the next morning on august 31st 1985 still completely unaware that now he was a very wanted man now and everybody knew exactly who he was mm -hmm. he would go into a convenience store where a group of elderly women saw him and started calling him el matador which literally translates to in spanish as the killer and he saw his name on the front page of a newspaper making him flee in a panic so jason you already see there he's probably freaking out now because everybody's looking for him and he now he knows it yeah, he's been recognized and is able to to see his face in black and white. And finally, it's he's realizing it's catching up to him. Exactly. Well, what's about to happen is probably one of the most insane citizen's arrests you'll probably ever see, even though it wasn't technically a citizen arrest, because Richard would try to attempt to jack a car after this to get away from everybody. But he was pulled out of the car by the angry resident. And after this happened, he fled to another woman's car and tried to steal her car keys. But her husband came up to him and hit him over the head with a fence post. He was then chased down by 10 residents of the area where they held him down and beat him relentlessly. The police were called and they found him beaten severely and took him into custody. They had finally got their man, Jason. Man, good looking out by these neighbors. I mean... Oh, yeah two different individuals who who fought back and then good looking out for the passerbys who who saw this happening and, and acted you know instead of just watching you know it's it's before the time of cell phones but you know you you think in modern day a lot of people would have pulled their cell phones out and recorded this but no these people took action and these people you know i i i i, I can't say that that i have any you know thing negative to say for them beating this man because he was you know trying to steal two cars in this neighborhood and more than likely was assaulting this woman in the the action and yeah i mean is you can take your own opinion on it but yeah beat the shit out of this guy I, that's that's my hot take that's my personal opinion no beat the shit out of the guy yeah i mean i i can't really blame him either because like you said i mean who knows some of these people could have known who exactly it was and that motivated them because he terrorized this area for, it was five months, but it was a brutal five months that everybody had to go through. And, I mean, can you really blame them? No, I, mean, I Can I, you I really can't. blame them? I mean, it, I mean, you can think whatever you want to think, but he got what he deserved and he finally got arrested. That's the main thing. He finally got arrested and they finally caught the guy and now he's off the streets. That's the main thing. Thank God for that exactly so well for some reason it didn't really explicitly say in my research but he would not begin or jury selection for his trial would not begin until 
July 22nd, 1988, which is about three years after he got arrested. Mm-hmm. And his court appearance would occur not long after that. And it would be a very memorable one. As Jason, we actually talked about this a little bit before the episode. He walked into the courtroom with a pentagram drawn on his hand and he yelled out, Hail Satan. Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, he... Uh... If, if you look up Richard Ramirez, more than likely that's going to be the first image that pops up is him standing in his prison attire with the handcuffs around his hand and he's holding up. I believe it's his right hand. It might be his left. I think it's right, the right hand. It's the right hand. I'm pretty sure he's holding up his right hand and in it is the upside down pentagram, which is emblematic of Satan um, because we we kind of touched on in the Cecil Hotel episode of AA and upside pentagram is the image of man because the the top star is the head the outreaching stars left and right is the arms and the downreaching star a uh, part of the star is the feet but the upside down the bottom star is the goatee the top ones are the horns and the uh bottom hanging ones are the the ears of the the, the head of the goat which is therefore the emblem of satan um, but it just really kind of shows his his love and his fascination for the occult. And again, I I think it's him believing that Satan will will help him out of this in in some way. I I don't know. He's he's definitely kind of showing how deranged he is in this moment. It's it's got to be terrifying. It's got to be relieving to everybody knowing that this guy is behind bars or that he's at least got got arrested he's going to take the trial for this however seeing that had to send a chill down people's spines because what i would have thought in that instance is he didn't care what he did to those people he thinks that he fulfilled his job and Mm -hmm. now he's trying to show everybody this is why i did it that's just what i think probably why he did that too and also just to give credit to obviously who he worships which was the devil so it's it's just unsettling yeah i don't like that at all he's he's very proud and everything he's done so yeah it's 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 pretty messed up but he did cause a stir though jason because he made a plot and he over people overheard him that he was going to try to smuggle a gun into the courtroom and shoot the prosecutor which actually led to them installing metal detectors to prevent this from happening yeah you you would kind of figure that they would already have those but at the same time He's been incarcerated, not convicted, for about three years now. Uh, my question is, is how is he going to get a gun? Uh, that's what I thought, too, but, I mean, you never know. There's ways people can do stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's happened before, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like this is just kind of a, a, hope, a pipe dream for him. Yeah, that's what I'm probably thinking, too. He's just probably thinking of any way he can to either probably uh, cause trouble or he's just thinking of any way he can to get himself out of this situation. I don't know. I don't know how that would have got himself out of that situation, but who knows? But another interesting event would happen, though, on August 14th. Uh, The trial would be interrupted after one of the jurors, Phyllis Singletary, was found dead at her apartment from gunshots. Everyone thought it was Richard who organized this. Mm-hmm. However, it turned out that her boyfriend actually is the one who shot her. And about a little while, I think it was just about the next day, he was found with a gunshot wound to his own head after he committed suicide. So, Jason, like, I mean, that's pretty crazy, too. I would have probably thought the exact same thing everybody else did. but Yeah, like you said, that caused a huge stir and... Honestly, I have to imagine that Richard's thinking, you know, this is this is all my worship to Satan kind of working out for me. You know, that this was, you know, his his gratification for every all the hard work that I've done, you know, for him. And he's probably even further proud of all the heinous things that he's done up to this point. But yeah, I mean, whoa, yeah. that's yeah, that it, is insane. It is crazy. However, though, this was probably the only out out of the ordinary event that would happen because his trial would last for a year until September 20th, 1989 with nothing else really happening in between that time. He was found, he was convicted and found guilty of 13 counts of murder, five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults and 14 burglaries. So you can pretty much say, it didn't tell me how much, how long you actually know my bad. 
He did get sentenced. He got sentenced to death on November 7th, 1989 by gas chamber, which I want to bring up too. I Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't really see that very often. Do you? No, I, that's honestly, I thought that that was an idea that was brought up for execution, but I didn't think we ever actually used it, but I, I could, like I said, I could be wholeheartedly wrong, but I, yeah, you never really hear about that one. You usually hear execution by uh, electric chair or firing squad or they're on hanging or lethal injection, but yeah, gas chamber, you really don't hear about that one. Yeah, I would have thought lethal injection. That's what I thought was weird, but what was even crazier was what he quoted after saying, after he got his verdict which he was heard saying, big deal, death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. Whoa. This just shows dude. how completely just messed up he is. Yeah, homeboy's office rocker. Um, not making light of mental illness in the slightest, but this person, if we can highlight anybody is just totally deranged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's pretty safe to say. Um, I don't know any, why anybody would ever say that. Granted, there are a lot of serial killers just said some pretty messed up stuff. It just the nonchalantness is pretty chilling. He doesn't care. He truly doesn't care. Yeah, and it kind of, I don't know, it makes me curious if, if he really just had completely accepted death even well before he was incarcerated you know if if he if at any point he died he probably may not have regretted anything that he had done and it seems like he still doesn't regret anything he's done uh, it's just so weird to to how somebody can think that way uh, especially maybe, with the events that he's done well maybe he thinks he's finally going to get his reward from all his practices especially with the cult now he gets to die now he gets to basically be with satan now maybe that's what he's wanted this whole time i don't know it's still crazy yeah i i can't fathom that one that one's hurting my head a little bit oh yeah fun fact though his trial was the most expensive in history of california at 1.8 million dollars until it was surpassed by a certain trial in 1994 jason do you, can you think of one that could have surpassed that 1994 uh Famous football player oh oj yeah oj's trial ended up surpassing him in the cost and everything mm. but it, that just interesting fact that his was the most expensive until that happened so just thought i wanted to bring that up real quick yeah and that uh, kind of talks about how infamous and how his impact really reached you know the entirety of the united states even though his main praying grounds were in san francisco and uh la but everybody essentially was horrified of the Night Stalker, and everybody oh, knew his yeah. name. Oh, exactly. I also want to bring up, too, that during his trial and everything that went with it, he did gain a lot of fans, too, with even one of them he got married to in 1985. She, would, uh, she even made claims that if they ever executed him, she would commit suicide as well. She would, though, divorce him after she learned of what happened to me, Leung, as this proved to be a the final straw for her, I guess, because she did divorce her after learning what he did to that nine-year-old girl. But he would also get engaged in 2013. I just want to get your thoughts on that. So I'm going to go back to my catchphrase real quick. Uh, excuse me, what? Yeah, exactly. I, I should have wrote this down. There's a word for this that basically says a person who is attracted to people who commit violent crimes, that's apparently a legitimate thing. So it may not be out of the ordinary that he did gain so many fans. It just still, that it just seems so unreal though. Yeah. I mean, you, you see that a lot in, especially in Ted Bundy's case of mm -hmm. all the, the fanfare he got. And I forget the individual's name in, um, uh, criminal minds i forget what his name was but um he had also got a lot of uh love letters a lot of naked photos of women and everything mm -hmm. that who had submitted these photos of their own accord for their fantasization of these individuals it's 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 crazy to think about but 
in this instance that this woman marries this man who is on death row and she she knows for the most part all the heinous things he's done but then finds out that he raped and murdered a nine-year-old girl and then she's like nope that's that's too much for me and it's like don't get me wrong that is horrific that is is in our minds that is so much worse than the other things Mm -hmm. but all the other things are still i mean level 10 out of 10 of the horrible scale you know killing a child is even breaching that scale that's but, 11 yeah, that, that, yeah that's 11 if if not further up but yeah. it that that was the point for you that was what the the point where you said nope that's that's too much everything else was was okay i i, I don't understand i yeah i don't understand i won't try to uh yeah i don't think it's it's not i just wanted to bring up it's just something we just can't understand on uh just how it is we just won't ever understand that so nope and, and then and then another woman comes forward and gets in, engaged to him and is like nope that that's okay that yeah. that's fine <sighs> it, it does raise a lot of questions but we won't dive into it anymore as we'll get back on to this but well i, I have i have one thing more yeah go ahead go ahead i'm, I'm sorry let it go okay. ahead one one last thing before before we move past this because my like i said my, my head already hurts um but I really hope that these individuals are on some sort of watch list after this because <laughs> something's not right here, you know, but that, that, that's it. I'm, I'm off that soapbox. I'll, I'll get off it. Get off. Get off. It. <laughs> so he would also make two uh, appeal attempts with each one of them being unsuccessful. He even had pending appeals at the time of his death. The mental health of the night stalker was also examined with one psychiatrist, Michael Stone, saying he was a made psychopath instead of a born psychopath. He said that Ramirez suffer, uh, suffered from schizoid personality disorder. He also made a comment that Richard had been knocked unconscious, even almost dying on several occasions, making a connection as to why he thinks he did all the horrific things he did. Jason, I'd, real quick, too, what do you, what do you make of that? Yeah, schizoid psychopath, you know, I, I definitely don't disagree in my very, uh, my psychology 101 uh, <laughs> class of education. Um, but I don't know, I, I'm really interested to, to dive into his theory of made versus born psychopath. I mean, <laughs> I would like to think that most people are are born and and don't believe these terrible things are okay you know i i like to believe that mm -hmm. most of these people are made to be that way due to something you know some sort of external force but i mean i, I i've seen instances where i would believe my hypothesis would be incorrect yes but mm -hmm. i don't know that's definitely a, a hot take uh but i mean i don't I don't disagree that mm -hmm. more than likely if he didn't have such a traumatic experience from his father and then have such bad role models through his cousin and his sister's boyfriend, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe he would have had a chance in the world. Maybe. Um, I, I can't state that verbatim because I don't know and I'll never know, exactly. but it's, it's, it's definitely a, an interesting take and I don't know. I, I definitely want to take a psychology 102 next, so maybe I can start figuring it out. <laughs> One of the, yeah, that would be a good course <laughs> to take then, too, because like you said, I don't know. I I would agree with you, too. You think most people are made because I'm a big believer on nature or nurture versus nature. Mm -hmm. That Usually the way you're brought up would be a big factor in the way you turn out. But then again, I don't know. It's it's a case-by-case case, case or mm -hmm. circumstance. Uh, it's hard to tell. I guess that's the main thing, too. But. Yeah. Well, Richard would die from complications to B-cell lymphoma at a hospital in Greenbrae, California on June 7, 2013. He was 53 years old. He would leave behind a legacy that is drenched in blood as his addiction to cocaine awoke another part in him that left behind a trail of bodies. His life and murders have been highly publicized since his arrest with many documentaries and TV shows, most notably, which really... Uh, kind of relates to me as I'm a big fan of the show was American Horror Story mm -hmm. as he appeared in season five, the hotel season, as well as season nine, which evolved 
kind of like a camp setting, but Richard Ramirez was a big part in that season. Jason, I didn't know too. Where are you, where did you first learn about the Night Stalker? I think for me, it was uh, an early fascination in serial killers from mm -hmm. me learning of Jack the Ripper. And then I had also mm -hmm. heard of Ted Bundy before. And that's where I had went on to to learn about John Wayne Gacy as well as Richard Ramirez, because I feel as if if you look up just serial killer in any search engine, you're going to find those four individuals on the very top, you know, mm -hmm. it, those names are synonymous with serial killers. And something that we've kind of talked about too is the Night Stalker is a, a terrifying name to kind of strike horror in the general population. But after his death and incarceration, once people knew who he was, the name Richard Ramirez really stuck. You know, it, it oh, yeah. he wasn't just forever known as the Night Stalker. He's been known as Richard Ramirez as well. Oh, exactly. And, and it's fascinating you say that because the guy who first, like, I guess I wouldn't say fascination because, oh, I guess it is a fascination. Mine was Jeffrey Dahmer. That was mm -hmm. my, the first one I ever heard about. And, like, I guess mainly the reason why I look into this is just their psychology. Why would someone do that? But bring up your point, though, that those guys are synonymous with it. I actually found a website that someone ranked who they thought were the most notorious and most brutal serial killers. And Richard Ramirez is number one on his list. So it's fascinating that you said that. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's a that's a hot take at all. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, so much notoriety is behind his name and to, to strike fear within the entire United States. And I mean, even making international headlines, you know, if. The, the horrifying things that are happening within the United States in the 80s. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, it's crazy. And it just shows that his legacy is going to continue to live on as he's he, that American horror story season was like two or three years ago. So people are going to continue to talk about him for a pretty long time. And we're, we're some of those people. Yep. I mean, even now we're talking about him right now. So, well, Jason, that's all I got on the night stalker. I appreciate you taking this journey with me as like I try to mention before, we don't really enjoy this. We just like giving you guys an educational look at this and just also because we want to give, uh, send our hearts out to these victims and to their families. Cause I cannot imagine going through this, especially now they're going to live synonymously with their killer now, probably for the end of time as it doesn't seem like the life and legacy of the night cycle will ever die down. Yeah, and, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. Like We've both touched on the fact that we have a fascination with serial killers. We don't put them on a pedestal by no means. You know, no, These are individuals that we wholeheartedly despise. But the, the fascination we have mm -hmm. is into their history and their psychology and what drove them to these points. And hopefully, you know, we can further educate to make people aware of the telltale signs and you know hopefully one if one person is able to to take away from this and see somebody that they know that needs help professionally you know then then i feel as if we've done our job if if anything but uh, our main uh, focus is just to to educate and you know hopefully people will find this stuff as interesting as we find it and i i believe in that wholeheartedly with so many books podcasts movies and shows that focus in on serial killers you know it's such a fascinating thing to to dive into that we live normal lives for the most part but some in, other individuals have totally different ideas of what normal is and i completely agree with everything you just said too i think you actually hit that squarely nail uh, like nail on the coffin right there that was very good so Jason, I'll let you, and if you got any final thoughts, the floor is yours and not, uh, take us home. Yeah, I'll just keep it real short. You know, it's, as we've kind of touched on, Richard never really had a chance just to all the terrible role models he had in his life, uh, all the, the violence and even killing at such a young age and the acceptance of these actions are okay, that even committing crime is okay at such a young age that education is is not for him that alcohol and drug abuse is also okay and it really resulted in created 
this monster of a man and for for so many individuals to have lost their lives um due to the something that i believe could have been avoided um but uh, of course we we can't go back in time and change any of the events of the past and uh one one final question i don't know if you have it off top hand hunter what is his believed total uh count of individuals that he had murdered if i'm correct and obviously you can do your own research if i remember they believe it's within 15 about 15 to 20 but he actually made a claim that it was over 20 in prison obviously we don't know for sure but the confirmed numbers anywhere between 15 20 more likely leaning towards that 15 number gotcha yeah and you, you hate to hear that 15 individuals lost their lives due to the actions of the past but it, it i say all that to also say that i do believe richard ramirez was an unorganized killer he was his main focus was preaching his gospel which was that of satan and also finding money to feed his drug addiction and the the bloodlust and just hatred he had in his heart you know is what really drove him to become this monster but because of him changing up his demographic of switching back and forth between a blade and a firearm you know i i could not definitively state he was organized he's he's sloppy in a lot of his instances and yeah he's just sporadic as as, as entirely so yeah it's pretty wild to think about but i was just looking up real quick too yeah it just says 15 plus this is victims that's all it says right there that i mean it could be more we just don't truly know because i don't i didn't see anywhere that confirm or where he explicitly said in an interview or anything how many people he killed or confessed to who how many yeah so. and one one final thought uh because mm -hmm. we touched on it in alcoholic anomalies the cecil hotel episode an individual from australia jack unterweger he actually moved to the u.s and also stayed in the cecil hotel and in essence jack was a copycat killer of richard ramirez so if you do find this episode interesting please feel free to do research on a copycat killer of him which was jack unterweger we do touch on him briefly in that episode, but uh, not not as much in depth as in this episode. But with that, Hunter, uh, if you have anything else, if not, I'll close her out. Nope, go ahead. Take us home. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the Night Stalker episode of Serial Time, a serial killer podcast. If you like this episode, please feel free to leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As a disclaimer, no serial was harmed in the making of this episode, and we hope to see you next time.